Jesus, blessed are those who have not seen and still believe, is a great promise of the Lord. But despite this promise of Jesus, we live in an age that is perhaps the most cynical in the history of the world. Uh, a third of all Generation Z uh, people, I think those are people younger than me, which is hard to uh, admit, but it's just the way life goes, isn't it? A third of the Generation Z are, have no religious affiliation whatsoever. That's a record. And church attendance is at the lowest since they've been keeping record of it in our country. So even though Jesus says, if you have not seen and still believe, you're blessed, people still choose not to believe really in anything. So because of that, churches are trying different approaches. We're trying to reach people in different ways. And I told you about a church last year called Jerk Church. You remember this? And their, their tagline is, if you're a jerk, they want you to come to their church. So if you're a misanthrope, if you're a cynic, if you're a doubter, if you're just a general um, curmudgeon to be around, they want you to attend, right? And, and consequently, most of the people who attend Jerk Church are men, right? <laughs> Sorry, guys. It's just facts. But I give these guys credit. They're at least showing up. They're admitting their jerkiness to the world. They're not ashamed of their jerk, of their jerk status, and they want to work on that, and I respect that. But here's a great irony, is that despite people saying they have no religious faith at record levels, seven out of 10 Americans still say they believe in miracles. Isn't that interesting? So even though we say, well, many people say they don't believe in God or have any sort of religious belief at all, they still believe that the God they don't believe in could enter into our sphere of earthly life and not change his laws, but augment them um, and, and do things outside of the ordinary. They still believe that, seven out of 10. And of the seven of 10, the majority of those are women. That women typically believe in the miraculous more so than men. Sorry, guys, I'm, I'm really giving the one-two punch this morning. There's a point to this. They still believe in miracles. Now, of course, there's plenty of women that would probably attend jerk church as well, who are doubts and, and, and cynics and curmudgeons of their own sort. But by and large, men have a harder time coming to faith in God. Typically men, most atheist-type folks, can typically be more, be men. And atheism is a funny thing to me because I don't really understand why you would want to try and disprove something that doesn't even allegedly exist. I don't go around trying to convince you of the dangers of Captain Crunch because he's not real. So if God's not real, then why do you care? Uh, Charles Spurgeon even said this. It's a great quote. The atheism is a strange thing. Even the devil never fell into that vice. Right? He believes in God. He just doesn't like him very much. So why is this? Why is it that men typically struggle with the miraculous more so? There's lots of reasons. One could be that men who are more educated, perhaps even entitled, they don't like to be told that they're wrong. They have pride. They like to be in control. They like certainty. Uh, they don't want to hold things in tension that don't seem to make sense together. Case in point, the famous scientist Neil deGrasse Tyson, a famous ag agnostic person, he, I'm going to paraphrase him, but he said, look, if God gave me evidence... I w that led me to the great bearded man, as he says, then I would believe. But his postulation is that if God is all good and all powerful, 
and yet there's suffering and evil in the world, therefore I can't really believe he's either all good and all, or all powerful because of what I see at work in the world. So it's the old argument of evil and suffering, therefore God is not real. But clearly evil exists in our world. There's one thing you hold in tension, and the other is that God is good, that God is real. And so how do we equate these things? That's a whole different sermon but that Jesus did overcome evil. He overcame supernatural evil. He overcame natural evil through the mastery over storms and disease and things of that nature. And of course, supernatural evil. Clearly, God allows them evil things to happen. But eventually, he overcomes all of it. Eventually. But when you humbly admit that miracles are possible, and you hold that intention with your logic and your, your rationality of the world, and you can somehow bring those two things together, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Thomas was a man, and Thomas is wrestling with this whole situation. It's not making sense to him. I saw him die, and you're telling me he's alive. How in the world do I make these two things add up? I can't do it yet. Because Thomas saw Jesus do amazing things. He was with him for years. The Gospel of John tells us that Jesus did so many amazing things that all the books in the world would not contain. We only get a snapshot of the things Jesus did. Thomas was there for all of it. But he saw, he saw Jesus die, and yet his friends are knocking at his door where are you, Thomas? Come out. He is alive. We have seen him. And so he's, he's experiencing a split, a, a conundrum in his mind. His head and his heart are at war with each other. I saw him die. I saw him breathe his last breath. I saw the nails go into his wrist. And yet you're telling me he's alive. This is what you call cognitive dissonance. Mental stress or discomfort experienced by an individual who holds two or more contradictory beliefs, ideas, or values at the same time. This is what I would call postmodern life in general. But this is what Thomas is experiencing right now. So understandably, Thomas has never met anybody risen from the dead before. So he's having a problem with this. He's having a problem making sense of it. And I can't really blame him. You know, I remember when I was a teenager, and I grew up in church, I loved church, but I, in my head, I, of course, believed in God, I knew God was real, and I liked church very much, but I still was like, yeah, 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 I know all that sounds great, I know I should probably, there's probably more to this, but I'm not really ready to do that, I want to have some fun, right, as if being a Christian isn't fun. You know, sin's fun for a little while, That's, you, know, so you wouldn't do it, right, but it's, as it, the, way, the wages of that is death, eventually, if you continue to live into sin. But as a, as a teenager, I was like, okay, yeah, I know it's true, but I still want to have my fun. And then as I got older, I began to see, no, all of this is true. Literally all of it is true. And I began to feel this shift, almost like a sun rising in my soul. This new dawn, this realization that everything I've been hearing about my whole life was true, but that I was the problem, I was the war inside, I was the one that wasn't quite getting the message. Have you ever been talking to someone before and you say to them, 
You tell them something and they go, I've never thought of it that way before, right? When I teach my children something, they'll go, I've never thought of it that way before. And I'll say to them, yeah, you haven't. It's called learning. That's what learning feels like, right? When you go, oh, and the light bulb goes off or whatever you want to say. Like, I've never, I've never thought of that way before. It's this inner wrestling that we're, you should not run from. Before you come to the answer, sometimes you have to turn the corner and drop the old way that you thought about something. This is what's happening to Thomas. He is struggling, and he just needs some time. He feels this contradiction in his mind. And this is what happens to anyone that chooses to give their life to Jesus Christ. You may feel this sort of strangeness at first. You might not feel anything, and that's okay. But it's like walking across a bridge into a new life. It's like turning a corner. It's like walking from a dark room into a well-lit room to see that there is forgiveness of sins, to see that there is resurrection from the dead, that there is eternal life, that there is reunion with loved ones after this life is over, that the universe was created out of love, not out of cold indifference. You could go on and on, that there is one God, and there is one way to God, and it is through Jesus. There are not multiple gods. There are not multiple ways to God. There is only one name under heaven by which we are saved. And once you become to that realization, you see that, yes, it does feel sort of narrow, but that doesn't mean it's not true. True things by their very nature can be that way. Jesus says the way to destruction is so broad, and many people take it. And this breaks God's heart. But as we come into this realization, we begin to see that all of this is true. Thomas realizes this eventually. Colossians 1.15, that Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. But there are still plenty of people like Thomas out there who will hear that and go, yeah, really? Okay, give me a break. Seriously? Show me some proof. All good, all powerful, Uh uh-huh. Yeah, risen from the dead, right. See, I think even today, if Jesus walked into this room right now and he did a miracle, a third of us would believe it. Well, I'd say more than a third of this crew would believe it. Probably a lot of you would believe it. But typically, you know, in, say, a cross-section of the, of the country, a third would believe it, a third would say it didn't happen, and a third would forget it in the next five minutes. As that old non-biblical doctrine, blessed are the unbelievers, for they will not be disappointed, right? So let's look at the progression of Thomas in greater detail. Really three points. First, Thomas didn't believe. He simply didn't believe. They're knocking on the door. He doesn't want to come out. He doesn't want to believe it. Maybe he was crushed. Maybe he was destroyed, crestfallen. He probably was. I mean, why didn't he believe at first? The other 11 did. Why didn't he? I think more than likely, he sequestered himself away. He ran to his room, in a sense, and locked the door. I mean, you do this, right? When you go through a trauma of some kind or a breakup, right? You, you, you need that space for a little while. That's what he's doing. But instead of running to the God who could heal him at first, he's running away and saying, leave me alone. 
Now, deep trauma has a way of tricking us into thinking we're the only one, right? No one else is dealing with what I'm dealing with. I'm the only one. All you know is your pain. You know, the, the enemy wants to, he, he capitalizes on that in our lives. He jumps on it. He wants, you, he wants to hold you there and to think that you'll never get past whatever it is, right? You're not the only one with cancer. You're not the only one that lost their job. You're not the only one that's gone through a divorce. You're not the only one that's had to deal with trauma in your life. That there are other people that understand where you are. Amen? Yes, this is true. So Thomas needed this space, though, to process what he's hearing. And that's what he does. So what does he do? He demands evidence. I like to think Thomas yells through the locked door to the other 11. I won't believe it until I see the nail wounds in his hands. Put my fingers in them. Tactile. And and the hand in the side. Until then, I won't believe. And something in that moment leads him to come out and go with them. Maybe the disciple, other 11 said, well, we'll show you. He's right over here. And the door gets open somehow. And this is what I love about Thomas, is that he acts on his doubt. He doesn't let his fear of what could be the truth keep him away from the truth. He doesn't let, him, let it hold him down. He decides to go forward even into a situation that doesn't make sense to him. So much so like Peter saying, I'll get out of the boat. I'll walk on water to you, Jesus. I don't even know what this even means. I I might die. I'm going to try it. This is what Thomas does. He's like, okay, I'm in. I'm going to bungee jump right now. It feels completely insane. What you're telling me is crazy, but I'll go with you if what you're telling me is true. And I love this picture of surrender. This is what Thomas essentially saying is, if I'll surrender it if he shows me. Now, in the movie clip, I love how Thomas runs in and they embrace. I'm sure that happened. But in the Bible, it shows us that they're in a locked room. Jesus appears to them and then comes to Thomas directly and shows him the proof that Thomas asked for. See, if you are seeking truth, seriously, with all your heart, Jesus will show it to you. He will show himself to you. And I don't know what that looks like. It's, it'll be specifically for you. But he will show the proof that you are demanding. It might not come overnight, but he will. Those who seek the Lord with all their heart will find him. And he will find you. Now, Thomas did not retire after this story. He went all the way to India preaching the gospel, where he would die a martyr's death, and there was a church still there bearing his name. So whatever Thomas experienced was real. And I love that Thomas was not afraid to speak his mind honestly. He brought his doubts and his questions, and he didn't see those as a weakness, but as a strength. And because he did that, the truth was shown to him because he chose to continue to wrestle with what he was hearing he got to see some of the greatest things any human being could ever see now it's interesting that thomas's nickname is the twin the greek word didymus now some of us believe it's because thomas literally had a twin brother or sister 
Others believe that maybe he just couldn't hold a consistent opinion. He was always of double-mindedness. Do you know someone like this? They just can't make up their mind. They're always like, him and hawing. I don't know for sure what this is or that. And maybe he's, he was always that kind of guy that was always just sort of like the class cynic. Like, well, okay, let's see about it. You know, you kind of need a friend like that, right? Are you sure you want to go with those people tonight? It might not be. Do you really want to dress, wear a dress that low? It might not attract what you want. Like, you need the friend that says, hold on. Let's think about this. Maybe this is Thomas, the really rational. I mean, you, you, you got the Peters who are very impulsive and like, yeah, we're going to get them. I'm going to chop that guy's ear off. And, and you need a Thomas that goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's think this through. But maybe Thomas was double-minded like that. But it's because he was intellectually honest with himself. And he wasn't going to settle for hearsay but he had to see it for himself. In many ways, this generation we're living in is the most double-minded, contradictory generation in the history of the world. That we are living in an age where people have such perpetual cognitive dissonance, holding contradictory beliefs that just don't make sense. We live in a generation that has more information than ever but no wisdom. A generation that holds all opinions and interpretations as equally valid, but then they turn around and demand that you hold their opinion and interpretation as well. A generation that, to be quite frank with you, because I don't, every day is a gift, a generation that, to be quite frank with you, is under attack by the devil, by Satan, and that he is oppressing people daily, that he wants to hold people behind the locked door. Jesus is dead. He's not alive. He's dead. There's no proof. You're never going to see any proof. You never get past your trauma. You're never going to get any sort of catharsis or peace. Stay there. And that's what he wanted for Thomas. That's what he wants for this generation. Don't listen to those people knocking at the door telling you that Jesus is alive. No, no, no. Don't go there. Friends, the thing that you are tempted the most to not do is maybe the thing that you should do. Think about that. Why is it we're never tempted to go to church? Why is it that you're never tempted to read your Bible? The thing that you're not tempted to do is probably the thing you should do. That's what I'm trying to say. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Paul writes this, Satan, who's the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. Those who are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. He will go on to say that the, the cross of Christ is foolishness to those who are perishing. And that's my story as well. I used to think it was kind of a joke. Oh, those holy rollers. What a waste of time. But then when the Holy Spirit comes within you, see, when you, again, if you're seeking real truth, you will come face to face with Jesus eventually because he is the truth. He is the truth and the way. You will come across inconsistencies and other religions and worldviews, but not with him. Not with him. If you seek the Lord, you'll find him. 
and he'll find you. Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God, for he will forgive generously. God wants us to know and experience the resurrection for ourselves, just like Thomas. We are no different than he. As Christ is alive, he desires for us to live as well. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul, the apostles, they all believe this, but Christ really has been raised from the dead. This was their message over and over again. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, Adam, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man, Christ. Just as everyone who dies belong, because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. And then the last point is that Christ provides evidence. He willingly said, look, Thomas, I'm going to show you what you asked for. Now, did it come the next day? No. It came about a week later. But it, he did give him what, what he was seeking. He said, don't be faithless any longer. Believe. That there's such a, when, thing, when something is true, it, there's such a generosity to it, isn't there? There's such a willingness. There's no defensiveness with Jesus. Why? Why would he? He has nothing to hide. He's firmly planted in who he is. You know, I, I thought about pulling like a Phil Donahue and walking around with a microphone. Look it up, kids, if you don't know who Donahue is. Maybe don't. I don't know. It was a long time ago. I thought about pulling a Donahue and walking around with a microphone, but we don't have time. And asking y'all, have you ever seen a miracle? Have you ever witnessed a miracle? Because I would love to hear those stories. And I know some of you have. Maybe email me and let me know. We'll make a video or something. That'd be great. But if I walked around the room just right now, some of us would go, yeah, I've seen a miracle. I've seen people be healed. I mean, just the fact that you're alive, for one, is one miracle. But even the new birth of Christ within us is a miracle. You know, it's, it's easy for me to believe because of all the things that God has shown me in my life. But Jesus says, you are blessed if you have never seen what Thomas saw and you still believe. You're, you're more blessed than me. You have more faith than I do. If you still believe. The same God that said that to Thomas said this in Jeremiah. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. We're going to have a few moments in this last song to come and seek the Lord in this prayer rail. If you need prayer for healing, strength, restoration, change, anything, uh, I'll be glad to pray with you. Some other friends might be up here to pray along with you. Um, and that's what this time is for, for the Lord to do what he wants to do. So let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that in this place, you're present. You're always present, but when we make a concerted effort, God, to seek you with all of our heart, your word says we'll find you and be found by you. Lord, we're a people in need of healing. Heal this generation. I think your word to this world is don't be faithless any longer. Believe that yes, the truth is better than we can imagine. Come Holy Spirit, use this time for your glory.